0: When the world has got you down
1: Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal. Love. This is Love Conquers Alls. A real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's. The good, the bad, and everything in between. And now here are your hosts, Susie Singer Carter and me, Don Priest.
0: Hello everybody, I'm Susie Singer Carter.
1: And I'm Don Priest and this is Love Conquers Alls. Hello Hi. Susan.
0: Hi Donald, I'm so excited today. How are you first? I know. I should, well, uh, I'm platitudes. fine. I mean, platitudes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a new a new year and a new beginning and uh, oh, let's right. just uh Let's just hope that uh, this one, you know, maybe heads in a better direction than last one. So, right, and I think, yeah. you know, today may kick us off right in that direction.
0: I think so. We have the greatest guest ever. I'm so excited. So that's why I'm like jumping, I'm doing leaps over <laughs> Get, uh, over yeah, all right our platitudes. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, Let me just quickly put a plug in for uh, I Love Lucifer, our other podcast, which is now in the finalists for four finalists in the Audioverse Awards. And we're not asking you to do anything but just send good vibes. So uh, we're excited about that. And you guys know it's a comedy uh, horror and it's fantastic. And it stars Adam Levy, from The Witcher and HBO's industry. Her
2: eyes are literally burning with an outrageous color of red. My fearless daughter moves in to plant a kiss, but Portia
1: manages to hold her away. Tanya's lips hover inches from Portia's. Hot. From the heat from Portia's eyes. Uh, don't be dark. Now, in the grips and of this. And that's wretch.
0: it. All right, so you guys, if you're a caregiver and you have someone that you're caring for with dementia or Alzheimer's, you probably are experience anxiety on a daily basis about forgetting. I mean, I do. I know I do. Every time I can't think of a word or I'm writing and, I, and the, a simple word doesn't come, I, I literally get panicked on, like my heart starts beating.
1: I know, I'm very well aware of this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I do, and um, but I was I found I listened to this guest our guest on um, Anderson Cooper, and it rocked my world. It changed how I thought about it, and it gave me a peace of mind because I do have a good memory, you know. And and that, like my daughters always say, Mom, we can't remember words all the time, right? So
1: let's get to it. Today, our guest is Scott Small. And Scott is a distinguished memory researcher, the director of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center at Columbia University, and the author of a fascinating, not to mention practical, book entitled Forgetting the Benefits of Not Remembering, in which he explains why forgetfulness is not only normal, but also favorable. Uh, Until recently, most everyone, memory scientists included, believed that forgetting served no purpose but new research in psychology, neurobiology, medicine, and computer science tells a very different story. Forgetting is not a failure of our minds. It's not even a benign glitch. It is in fact good for us. And alongside memory, it is a required function for our minds to work best. Scott's book includes a wide variety of studies that include pygmy chimpanzees in the wild, visits with the iconic painter Jasper Johns, as well as the renowned decision-making expert, Daniel Kahneman looking across disciplines to put new scientific findings regarding forgetting into illuminating context while also revealing groundbreaking developments about Alzheimer's disease. And that's what we're very excited about talking about today. Right.
0: And just to put it in layman's terms, the next time you forget your keys, just remember that forgetting is good for you so please welcome our exciting guest scott small
2: hi guys uh thank you so much for inviting me thanks for the uh very exuberant intro Uh, i i i I will start off by saying that um uh, although i'm optimistic in my personal world uh, i am like most trained physician scientists uh, ever skeptical not necessarily optimistic But uh, Don, if you do mention uh, the new year, uh, a new year perhaps ringing in with hope, uh, there's a lot of hope coming out of the the laboratories of Alzheimer's, uh, and it's translating practically. There are new drugs, there's new hope, and uh, I can easily articulate cautious optimism.
1: Wow. (laughs)
0: That's amazing. It's funny because
1: on those, those whenever amazing. we hear about a new drug, and it's always, wait, does it, does it, uh, you know, reverse it? Does it stop it where it is? Does it prevent it? And are, is it, is it in all those areas?
2: Well, you know, if if if, we're, if we could start from the beginning, perhaps the beginning is um, the mechanics cliche. You can't fix something unless you know what's fundamentally broken. And, and it turns out, uh, and there are many ways in which I apologize to my patient patients for the slowness uh, in us really isolating the root cause of Alzheimer's. But there's a sense that we're finally there. And, you know, the only silver lining of COVID, once you identify the target, the biomedical enterprise uh, is endowed with such wonderful tools that you can genuinely, realistically be hopeful that uh, effective drugs can be developed.
0: And I think it stems from Kind of what in your book when you talk about the, the mechanism, the that the molecular exactly. mechanism that you discovered, you always knew there was a mechanism for memory, but you didn't. But there wasn't a mechanism identified for actually forgetting. And so there's two mechanisms. Yeah, is that that, right? that
2: that's exactly right. And quickly let me let me just clarify. I've been involved, like most of the world, in finding mechanisms that regulate memory and pathological forgetting. So we've we've all been working away for decades, trying to understand the mechanisms of memory, which have been illuminated by my mentor, Eric Kandel, and many over the course of decades. And the the belief was always, well, you know, forgetting is just a a glitch. It's just memory gone bad. But the research in the last 10 years has clarified that that's not the case. There is uh, a completely separate group of mechanisms that are dedicated to active Normal forgetting, and if I may quickly insert, because this needs to be clarified, in a very simplistic sense, one can think of pathological forgetting, what happens uh, to us when we develop Alzheimer's, perhaps when we age, uh, worsening from our own baseline versus normal forgetting, the forgetting we're born with, the forgetting that all of us have, yet everyone, including everyone who sits next to me at a dinner party says oh you're a memory doctor let me tell you about my forgetting and it turns out to be normal forgetting and so the book is really written in contrast to the pathological form there's nothing good about that but there's a lot good about the normal uh, form of forgetting
0: and which I want to get into like what what actually identifies the difference between pathological and which we all want to know that's the big question isn't it like where where is that line when it becomes normal and and pathological i mean i saw it in my mother and i could only say from my experience what i how i identified it and you know and it's interesting cuz not everybody not everybody is attuned to to it because i was kept telling my family members something's wrong with mom and they were like you're overreacting that's normal you know she's fine i don't we don't notice anything and i was saying but it's different that's it's Lizzie. different I'm that's telling it you. that's
2: the distinction and f- first of all let me just say in this very engaging uh, conversation and not to put my neurology colleagues um out of business ultimately if you really want to know if it's pathological go see your doctor <laughs> and uh and los angeles <laughs> has wonderful wonderful neurologists um The, 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 but you, you, you hit on it. The different, the, the, the real way to, for your own self or for your family members to know if it's pathological if it's worsening from someone's baseline. So you, you know, sounds like your mother's lucky, you're, she's very close to you, her daughter. So you detected something worsening from, from her baseline. The problem is that it's often very subtle and we all forget and the kind of forgetting you're asking about can actually be the same as just any of us forgetting our keys. So it's really not so much about the kind of forgetting early on later in the disease, it's clear, but at the earliest transition from normal to pathological forgetting it could be subtle but the critical point is is it's worsening uh, about uh, uh, compared to someone's own baseline and as in the case sadly with your mother and does that come out sometimes
1: i mean can you can you relate it to uh not just forgetting but behavior uh, as opposed to just oh i forgot that but now it's affecting their behavior is that a sign so
2: alzheimer's is a progressing disorder uh, it starts first and it incubates in an area of the brain that really is dedicated primarily to memory. And that's why if you think back, uh, I don't know where your mother is right now, uh, Susie, but if you know anyone with Alzheimer's and just think how it progressed over time, and that progression is not just a worsening in one area of the brain, it's a spreading across other areas of the brain. And so, Don, when you ask about behavior, uh, you know that 's a, that's a fuzzy word, but often when people really have behavioral problems with alzheimer 's, which could be the most devastating to the patient and to the family, that tells me the neurologist that the disease has already spread out of the air, out of the area of the brain where memory alone uh, functions it's,
0: i think it 's interesting. I just had a, a text conversation with a co- with a friend of mine who 's father-in-law is 92 and experiencing dementia not you know particularly alzheimer's but probably some combination thereof and he had a fall and and um they luckily i guess he had internal bleeding but it stopped and he's now exhibiting like incredibly violent behavior and you know and i said that's not in you know she was just lamenting about the fact that maybe you know, I, I can't believe how bad, you know, Alzheimer's, you know, if it brings him to this point. And I said, I don't know if that is Alzheimer's. If it could be medication they put right. him on. It could be that whatever damage he had on his, you know, when he fell is affecting him. If it's that quick of a change of personality, it doesn't seem like I, the, it would I, progress I th- that I think you're
2: I think you're showing great clinical uh, skills, um, Susie. Uh, that would be my first uh, worry um, and the, the, the good news about that, if it is medication, if it is a bleed in a part of the brain that can affect behavior, those are fixable potentially, right? Alzheimer's sadly until exactly, now isn't. Exactly. Um, the, the 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 only nuance there is that often when people describe something that happens suddenly, acutely, which is not the way Alzheimer's progresses, if you dig deeper, actually, oh yeah, maybe there was some aggression before, maybe there was some, and, and so this just accelerated that. And you know, this is the problem, is that we're relying on a, a history, a narrative, uh, and as you're, you're filmmakers, so you know better than I, that narratives aren't always faithful to the truth.
0: <laughs> that is right, and, and you know, I noticed, even when my mom, early on, when I was I de- detecting like some of the changes in her memory, I detected a change in her personality. No with you know the way that she related to me there was there was an edge to it that wasn't there before and i can't i you know i couldn't really articulate it uh, or would probably sound very pandering to myself but i felt it i knew it was there and it was real so and that was really what tipped me off and and, it was like my mom's not and, and
2: if you think about you know so it's it's easy for us brain scientists to compartmentalize different parts of the brain and to think of discrete regions. But, of course, if any of you, either of you, um, were to have a fun night partying, and then the the morning after you're a little bit groggy, you're a little bit out of it, you're out of sorts, you might also be, and and it's only because your memory is not great, you also might be a little bit grumpy or a little bit. So, and, 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 and that's really, I have to tell you, it leads to an interesting point um, about what we do clinically. Uh, maybe we'll get to the uh, cautious optimism about how we can really be physicians and that by which I mean intervene meaningfully. But. Um, I, but most of my patients who I spent often hours with are thankful, and I say, well, why are you thanking me? I've done nothing. They said, well, and the patient's saying this. They're saying, well, at least I now know it's not my fault. I, at least I now know that, I'm not, you know that my spouse who's thinking that I'm just being absent-minded, it's not just me not caring. And so there's a certain amount of um, gratitude that comes from knowledge, even if it's not, sadly, at this point, um, actionable.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. That's that's so it is important and I, I learned that the hard way because I always say I made the every mis- my mom's had it for 16 years just so I can frame it for you and um, I so I learned the hard way by making a lot of mistakes. And then learning, you know, what works and what doesn't work and and putting myself in her, you know, being the most empathetic I could be just to try to wrap my head around it and realizing, you know, now and I used to say to her once I got the hang of it that, you know, I could see her searching for a word and I know how frustrating it is for me if I can't find a word or or I and as it progressed, I could see her searching for. The whole statement she wanted to say. And then I could see it pass out of her head and and I could see her give up. I could see and her and maybe her. blame
2: herself and maybe be ashamed. Yes. All things that we have to try to uh, eradicate from
1: the- from And her. she knew, I mean, Susie found a, a diary of hers from before she even was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. In her late, in her late 60s, late 60s, and she yeah. was writing. She says, I better write this down now or I'm hmm. not gonna remember. She, That's really she interesting. knew. I will remember. That's really interesting. Know. And,
0: <laughs> and she, also, she also said something very poignant in that, in those few pages. She said, you know, I, I, can, I can barely, you know, I have to, I have to, as Don said, write quickly, and she goes, and she goes. But there's something to be said about forgetting. Hmm. She said, it, it, "It's because I don't have to remember all the bad." Well, things. that's
2: really, and it, you know, it, it is ultimately philosophical. It's not philosophical, hard to understand. It's philosophical because it's about us, society, right. and our families. That's I consider philosophical, and that's a really perceptive point on your mother's part. And one of the things my patients have taught me, and I think I included in the book. Is that we tend to over index memory. <laughs> and it, 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 it's not, yes. God forbid, saying that it's a good thing necessarily. Uh, but we live in an information-heavy world. We all want to be the person who can quote. We all want to be, we all want to learn fast, more so than previous generations. And what my patients have taught me, particularly in the early stages, I'm not talking about the late stage, but in the early stage, when someone is forgetful, profoundly forgetful, rarely are they... uh, Profoundly despondent if they understand it 's not their fault, and what they 've taught me is that you don 't need your memory to engage in the joys of life in art and beauty uh, and in family uh, love uh, and that yes. that 's a profound philosophical lesson that i i 'm thankful to my patients for teaching me. I certainly live in a life where you, you know yeah. it 's all about who can quote the who can you know its arguments it's you, know, you want to know the right paper to counter argue but at some point in our lives, it's actually not that important. The other stuff is more important.
0: It's oh my God! You you are you're like my I, I I love you so much. <laughs> I mean, I I got this this perspective from another a woman who is a, a she studied, she she has a method called the Dawn method with the which is she talks about uh, living with dignity and and she really takes the importance off of no. memory. And and I actually started a, a clubhouse uh, where people meet. Called and the club is called Macy, which is memories are so yesterday. <laughs> Basically, That's like great. it, they're not that important, right?
2: No. Yeah, they're but I, I completely agree. I can... love the I love the acronym, but try telling it to a kid who's sitting down for the SATs, or try try to, you know. So remember, <laughs> so and can I just say quickly the the book, even in the normal forgetting, yes. is not saying memory is bad. It's saying we need our forgetting to balance our memories. So it's balance, for
0: sure. yeah, for sure. No, I'm just saying that when you compare it to uh, uh, you know, someone who is disabled, so I consider it a disability, right? Of course it's a disability, right. however, that doesn't mean you can't live a, a, and, a and, life and enjoy a and, life and of and quality. And as I tell
2: my patients, and it's always difficult, and you have to be sensitive about this, because you never want to minimize anything when you're talking to a patient. But there are many chronically progressive mm-hmm. disorders that we live with, right, diabetes, Guess what? Diabetes, if you live long enough, you'll have a lot of pain. You might lose sight. You might lose your limbs. You could really suffer. Forgetting may be a form of suffering for many of us, but as you pointed out through your mother's wonderful insight and as most many of my patients tell me, if it's just forgetting, it, it the suffering is actually not that bad what the real suffering is again not to minimize is that um you're basically giving someone a diagnosis that you can maybe convince them that right now and for the maybe foreseeable future you won't suffer except for lack of memory but it's a time bomb and the the end of alzheimer's is not a pretty picture we should not um whitewash that
1: yeah
0: absolutely i agree it but 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 it, you know it's it's that thing that we as caregivers grapple with is you know, and I I had the issue from the from the get go, which is quality of life over yeah. quantity of life. So you know, and 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 you know, our our medical uh, system is set up to prolong life as the, the physical life, as opposed to you know really valuing the quality yeah. over yeah. the quantity and so and that's where i had issues because when my mom was in her full you know in her best of mother she would you know when we would visit certain people that were maybe like my grandpa who was in a a skilled nursing and she said and she was fantastic with people in there where it's how i learned to have my bedside manner and she'd walk out and say susie me never uh uh-uh don't uh uh-uh like I've had a great life. Thank you. Okay, so you know what she's saying, and I, you know, but as it happens, you're like, that's yeah. I can't fulfill that for you. However, I what I can do is make whatever time you have here with ever whatever skills you still have
1: yep.
2: the best. No, that's, it could be. that's spot on.
1: You say there's uh, there's emotional and non-emotional memories, yeah. um, and how they how do they relate to the idea of forgive and forget, PTSD. Um, are, are are they both in are they the types are they important to forget i mean in order to to move on and- yeah in, in,
2: in some ways as you as you nicely summarized on at the beginning the, the 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 book has many chapters that all cohere around this idea that forgetting is is good some of the chapters are a little less intuitive, some a little bit more i think I think when it comes to emotional forgetting, I think that's more intuitive we all know that we the phrase we need to Forget to forgive. We all know that there's a problem with PTSD that is, by definition, by definition, a disorder of too little emotional forgetting. We all know in our daily lives that if we perseverate over our painful memories, we might become difficult people and suffer ourselves. So, when it comes to the emotional part of memories, uh, I think it's very uh, those were easier chapters to articulate. Um, why uh, we need to balance our emotional memories with forgetting to live uh, an emotionally balanced life. What was new, though, is that this all comes out, as you mentioned, Susie, from the new science of normal forgetting that only emerged in the last 10 years. And I wouldn't have written this book uh, just as a feel-good book if it is one. Uh, without that hardcore science, I—I I, I am a scientist after all, and—and and again, most of that science was not done by me, but my uh, by a, a universe of colleagues. I mean,
1: it's funny—we we talk about forgetting to forget to forgive, which can sometimes lead to uh, people getting remarried <laughs> after they've divorced i don't know how healthy that is um but it's something otherwise we just <laughs> but that you do that you forget literally you could have a horrible right you know,
2: and, that, and that's why i think the Don, done i think the balance analogy the teetering balance is a good one you, you 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 don't want to forget everything you don't want to forget all emotions you don't want to forget the bad part but what you want to do is defang uh, the memory from preventing you from living uh, 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 a better and happier life. Uh, that balance means that occasionally you're going to be swinging one way or the other. You might make mistakes because of too much memory or too much it, uh, forgetting. But it's factually true that you need to balance out your memory with your forgetting, whether it's emotional or informational
1: but we don't do that purposefully. I mean, the, bot, the brain does that for us. Is that correct?
2: Yes. You know, it's interesting. So um, in, as I've been talking about the book to uh, public audiences, uh, often I, 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 I worry that I won't convince people of the fact that we need our forgetting to balance our memories. I seem to convince people so much that often the questions at the, in the Q&A is, okay, doc, you're a doc. You've been working on how to fix... Um, pathological forgetting, too much, you know, bad memory. If I have uh, problems with my normal forgetting, how could I fix that? Right? Doctors are mechanics. They try to fix things. And and the one thing I learned again, I learned a lot. I worked a lot on this book to make sure that it was sort of compelling and correct. And so in every chapter, I sort of have a guide, as you mentioned, Jasper for, for creativity, Danny Kahneman for, for decision making, Eric Kendall for memory. In this case, I had uh, a guide who's the um, PTSD expert at Columbia. And we were talking about PTSD and what parts of the brain and you know, how it taps into this new forgetting. And we were then talking about why is it that two people come home from a wartime experience, experiencing the identical traumas, emotional traumas, right? One person could forget that enough, not the details, not completely, but enough to not develop a psychopathology, whereas that other person can't, right? And you should know that in the field of PTSD, they are trying to tap into the um, new science of forgetting. There are various drugs we can talk about, But what I found most interesting is it turns out that the most important factor is if you're exposed to trauma, is to surround your life with love, laughter, and happiness. And even now, I slightly giggle when I say that because I'm a hardcore, you know, uh, molecular guy. That seems a little bit namby-pamby, but it's actually factually true.
0: Oh, man, you're speaking my language, Scott. It's the you're basis, of, it's language, the basis of our show. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, love conquers but, all, lo- and, doesn't And, it? I and, mean, and by way- the way,
2: just to illustrate how a basic scientist like me can reduce even love ad absurdum, and I'm now self-spoofing, but it is anchored in the science. One of the things that love does is it releases in our brain something called oxytocin. Maybe people have heard about it. One That's of the right. things that the maybe the most... Profound thing that oxytocin does is it relaxes the area of our brain that stores fear memories, and so in some ways this is a simplification. I hope you do not edit this out, Um, because it is. But it is not inconceivable to say that one of the thing, one of the reasons we're able to love is only when you're able to relax your fears. Think about a kid who goes to school, right, kindergarten. It's not neurotic to say that that five-year-old is worried, is fearful, uh, and if that kid can't overcome their fears, they're gonna live a lonely life. It's only when you relax your fears, relaxation is another colloquialism for forgetting your fears, at least temporarily, do you open your heart to love, and then it becomes a vicious cycle, or as I say, a pas de deux, because vicious cycle sounds vicious, Um, so.
0: You also talked about humor. And it's, in, you know, that that it, things that, that do increase your oxytocin, right? And um, uh, does that include sex? I'm sure it, it does. But I'm just... It, <laughs> it, 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 it
2: completely does. And I some, somewhat, you know, I, I can't help but let my personality creep in into a book. Uh, you know, I, and, and that's just sort of pinching my um, sanctimonious, maybe two religious friends um, if... Um, if oxytocin is good, if it's part of love, clearly everyone will agree with that. But be, caref- be careful what you wish for, because um, too much oxytocin breaks the holy matrimony of one-on-one fidelity, <laughs> and, and bonobos mm. <laughs> and Hi, bonobos yeah, yeah, yeah. prove that. So uh, you know you can't. You have to be careful of, of, about what you pray for. I would say in this case
0: right that sounds good but you know with my mother i always say that there's you know i have certain tricks that i use to get to open the door when i visit her and it's you know it gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder right my mother was was a musician she was the most amazing singer um i have her recordings from you know from the from uh capital records we play and sing them all the time those open the doors I make her laugh now because she had a, she has a tremendous wit. So I, I, you know, and that when I can make her laugh, she suddenly and, a, and a this whole comes new back person. to the and that just comes worked, back yeah. to the
2: closing of the loop, the to do de because um, when you make her laugh, she feels better. But it also shows how she still has her humor and she still has her chops and her music. You know, I don't know if you yep. saw uh, with Tony Bennett. I mean, absolutely incredible and, and, oh, and I yeah. know because I have a friend who knows him well and he, it's no secret, he has Alzheimer's, pretty, yeah. pretty advanced, advanced. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but you put, him, you put him on a stage, it helps to be on a stage with Lady Gaga of course, but you put him on a stage and he remembers the full songbook, and even to me and I know this phenomenon, oh, yeah. so it's really really profound about how uh, memories, pockets of memories could be preserved.
0: My mother—it's just only within the last year—and I blame it on COVID because she's been isolated too much. And even though we've been zooming, Zoom is not the greatest thing, as we all know, for you know to connect. So um, we—but we've done the best we can. But she's lost her ability to, to sing along, and that was the last thing to leave. And she knew the words better than we did.
2: One—one one of the things that worry me about COVID besides everything else, is the social problem of COVID. Think about it. It's a double whammy. We're, isol- we, 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 we're isolating ourselves um, because we have to for our bodily health. But in doing that, yep. we're worsening the trauma that many people experience, the emotional trauma of COVID. And you're absolutely right. You mentioned at the get-go that you have dogs, so do we. One of the classic papers that was published in our, one of our most prestigious journals uh, is showing that not just us with ourselves and our family and our friends, but us with our dogs. When we look deep into our dog's eyes, they release oxytocin. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> 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 he's a genius.
0: There's <laughs> my dog, on right on cue. <laughs> yeah,
2: he, he's immediately admitted to Columbia, I can tell you that. Um, and. And, um, so they release oxytocin, we release oxytocin, and that oxytocin wow. creates this social bonding. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's real. It again might sound soft, but it's not. That is hardcore as hardcore as science can be.
1: And you can't get that through Zoom. You no. just don't. And, and, and you can't,
2: that's thank you, Dan. And you cannot get that from Zoom. It's so interesting. And so maybe we get a little bit of that, but there's nothing, there's something about, you know, the brain is clever. Just like the brain of most dogs can't look at a screen and see something, our brain deep down cannot it, recognize that I'm looking into your eyes right now. And so there's probably very little oxytocin. Exactly.
0: Oh, I agree with you a thousand percent. That's why I would never online date.
1: (laughs) So uh, you've heard stories of, you know, veterans who came back from World War II. Yeah. And they never, it's like they never talked about it ever. They never, you know, it was their way of coping with it. And and then other people talk about it all the time. And as far as getting rid of those memories... You know, it's what, it feels like, okay, if I talk about it, then it becomes part of my reality and I'm gonna to continue to memory Maybe if I don't talk about it, it'll disappear. What What are the effects of, of both?
2: Yeah, well, I, I, again, I'm not prescribing a treatment here. I'm actually not a psychiatrist, although I'm, I'm appointed in psychiatry uh, at Columbia as well as neurology, but um, the, the, simply, do what works for you, right? So for someone who's not talking about it, that seems to not kind of shake, shake up all the memories, maybe that works. But I think the simple answer is, often if you don't talk about something, if you don't, let, if you don't air it out, then it can fester and, and it could start becoming worse. Uh, and talk therapy uh, of all kinds, not just with professionals, but talk th- th- but talk therapy among friends and family. Uh, is a great way to air out memories and then at the at the least, at the very least not to forget the memories. We should never forget D-Day, right? We should never forget 9-11. Uh, but we don't want to fester uh, uh, because that's going to then give the enemy too much power. It's then going to not kill you at the battlefield. It's going to slowly kill your mind later, your psychological mind.
1: And that's with anything. That's with so any like upset you- in your life.
2: Any, you know. any, a- any upset. If- and that's where I think therapy—you know—talk therapy, again, of all kinds, I think is is a true therapy. And, and 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 most therapists do this. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a therapist, and I'm saying, you know, uh, basically what you're doing is you're accelerating the forgetting process, and he generally agrees with it. I mean, if you think about formally, more formally, um, obsessive-compulsive disorders, phobias, right? The way we treat that the most effective way is to have repeated exposures to the phobia in a in a benign setting that's tapping into your forgetting mechanisms period there's just no doubt about that
0: it feels like to me it feels like what i'm getting is that it the mechanism works on on like in a high, a high level way i'm going to say it really you know crudely but it takes away those emotional Or or it it, it takes away all the excess of what you don't need in that memory and leaves you with what you do need to make good choices. So, And I'm going to bring it back to a a, a plain, like an easy to understand example, like a divorce.
2: Yes, let's talk about divorce. (laughs) I'll tell you what what couple therapies use to accelerate uh, forgetting. Now we know this in retrospect. Uh, before it became a banned sus- substance, but yeah, let's talk about divorce.
0: Well, I, I know what you're. I, I know what you're going to say. Okay, I just. Okay, so let me pre- let me preface this, you guys. So I went through a horrible divorce, and it was really really hard on me. And um, it was my second one, and the first one was not easy, but it was. Better. This one was just chaotic. It was harder on me. And I literally had just, <laughs> yeah. Well, Don's been my best friend forever. Poor God bless him. But, um, you know, that, and I had seen the movie, The Eternal Sunshine of the, Spot, of the Spotless yeah. Mind, right? And I, I was like, yes, I want that. I want that. I need to go and have somebody erase this right. loop that keeps going right. through my head and making me cry. And so I went to a hypnotherapist and I said, I want to get rid of just these memories and keep the good ones can you do that for me and she said she said yes of course she didn't because I can't be hypnotized anyway so that didn't work at all whether or not it does work you would you could probably tell me that but is there a way that we can uh, accelerate getting rid of those because now it's taken me ten years and now I can actually look at it with a you know an, an objective frame and go this person, not good for me, and not cry. Well, <laughs> you,
2: you've, you've used the very natural gift of forgetting, and that's time, right? But you're asking, why do I have to wait 10 years suffering? Couldn't I have accelerated it? Again, back to a legitimate question to ask yes. a practitioner, a doctor. And uh, I I can't condone or critique hypnosis. I, I don't know enough about it. My hunch is that it can't just go in and like find that one little pocket and delete that but essentially Mm
1: -hmm.
2: good psychotherapy does that coupled with drugs and drugs accelerate forgetting uh, and that's why often it's a combinatorial what i was going to talk about actually is not the suffering after a horrible divorce i'm sorry you had to experience that susie what i was talking about is couples therapy who therapists who try to Preserve uh, 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 a friendship or a, a, um, a marriage, and um, uh, this is this is a while ago when I would lecture on you know how I'm trying to develop memory pills for Alzheimer's disease. I got this question a number of times from therap- couples therapists. I said, "Well, that's great, Dr. Small, but when you find a drug for forgetting, please let me know because it's going <laughs> to it's going to allow my couples therapy to." to thrive, because in essence, it sounds like you had, a, you, know, you had a bad marriage, but many marriages falter on too much memory and too much baggage, right? Letting go, letting go. Letting go is another of the many colloquialisms of, of forgetting, letting go. How do you let go? And what they were using um, uh, until it was banned is something that we know exactly what it does, and that's MDMA or ecstasy. It actually does accelerate the forgetting areas of our brain Uh, And you might know, Don, back we were talking about PTSD, it is now shown and currently tested more formally uh, as a therapy for PTSD to relax those brain areas that are just burning with too many memories, burning hot and burning our minds. Does
0: it target that uh, molecular mechanism for forgetting? It targets, so
2: so when you say, when you talk to a neurologist and you talk about, mechanisms you first think, again, back to the car mechanic analogy, Uh, you first ask where, and then you ask what. The where is clearly this region in our brain called the amygdala where um, fear memories are actually stored. That's relatively new. People always knew the amygdala was part of the story, but beautiful research out of uh, Stanford has shown that it's really, that's the storage of your fear memories. And you can turn it up and turn it down, at least in our model systems. What ecstasy, uh, MDMA does a lot, but clearly what it does is it turns down that area that's burning too hot. No, no question about that. Uh, and I will say, since um, we all love love, it sounds like, <laughs> um, think about, it's actually interesting to pour through the papers that um, have, back in the early days, tried to understand what ecstasy does, why does it make people feel so good, and so they've collected all the common words to describe the experience, and it's all about C- connections and love and feeling a sense of well-being, that apparently is such a great feeling that it's ecstatic, and that's why it's called ecstasy. Uh, and so, fear memories are important. Let's not forget. If we have no fear memories, we probably wouldn't make it out of kindergarten, right? We don't. We no longer live in a jungle. Exactly. But speak to a junior high schooler. It's a it's a social jungle.
1: <laughs>
2: it's a jungle. You want to okay, know sure. how to manage that? You don't want to just be. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Ali optimist i'm happy i don't care you you have to care you have to uh, not get hurt and that's why your fear memories are important right, and this comes right. back to the balance idea but you can't let that, that code, yeah you can't let that tilt your balance and then say i'm not going to school or i'm just going to stay home and play video games that's not going to work right <laughs>
1: That continues through through life. Right. I mean, the life is junior high. I mean, I, I, it so, continues. That's so true, <laughs> Don.
2: All the lessons we learn in junior high still are, apply in any um, sandbox. It's so interesting. We think we become wiser as we age. We do, but not when it comes to social dynamics. The sad thing about junior high is that what gets imprinted in junior high is our uh, humiliation, and that is hard to shake. And so when you see... And that's why it bullying really is. is horrible. And I was just watching a movie with with my wife, where you know it was about um, high schoolers, and in the current age of social media, I have no idea how they manage that. I, I mean, I remember how no. ruthless we all were when no. we were junior high schoolers. It would, I mean, revenge and. Uh, and and uh acting out all that kind of stuff that you might be sorry for later but guess what you can't delete that video you can't delete that comment it's out there it's horrible Exactly. i i, I, it, I feel bad exactly. for, for my <coughs> friends who have young kids
1: yeah and it's beyond high school now i, know. I mean it's and all even social it, media it's the bullying at all levels yeah. is yeah. yeah
2: it's yeah humiliation and i'm too sensitive humiliation for is, a, is is is, a, is an yeah. example is a example par excellence of a form of Memory that has to be relaxed, and it's easier said than done. Whatever we're talking about here is never going I, to be easy. Um.
0: One of the things that you talked about in the book, which I found, you know, ironic because which was which was a way to accelerate forgetting—the good kind of forgetting—was yeah. sleep, right? So that sleep is that is the function of it, and 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 you know, ironically, when you're upset when you're going through something traumatic, like a divorce and your mother's moving in with you with Alzheimer's and then no, your life right. is imploding and you're a sandwich generation with a young daughter and you go and, but guess what? Sleep know. goes out the window. I didn't no. sleep well for, I didn't, I literally slept two hours a night for a year.
2: You know, it, it is actually fascinating, isn't it? That we spend something, if we're lucky, a third of our lives doing sleeping and we do it in a in a in a position of complete vulnerability to the world right and so you would think on first approximation there's no way that mother nature would design us because we need to survive in the jungle and it is one of the core requirements to live people who are forced to be sleep deprived not not a few hours but true sleep deprivation will lead to death and um, we do it Uh, Our mammalian brothers and uh, and sisters do it, meaning all dogs, mice, etc. Flies do it. We all need to sleep at least a third of our lives. And it's always been a great mystery, unlike why we need to drink water or to eat food, which we can explain easily, we intuitively understand what's up with sleep, why. And it's one of the most fascinating questions. And one of the answers, which is now gaining traction, was proposed by um, Francis Crick. So Francis Crick is one of the great Nobel Prize winners. There are a lot of great Nobel Prize winners. He's up there. (laughs) And he's the guy who first cracked the genetic code in the 1960s. Um, And that is probably the most important finding in biology, at least. And he said, okay, well, that's easy. Let me figure out two things, consciousness and sleep. And then he went to uh, the great institute, Salk, at UCSD, just south of you. And he spent the rest of his career trying to figure out sleep and consciousness. For sleep, he was the first one to propose formally. And it's a proposal that was so out of left field that if I would have proposed, no one would have listened. But because it's Francis Crick, they did. He formally proposed that we sleep in order to forget, that sleep is a form of smart forgetting. And it took a long time to really test rigorously in the way we need in a lab, but he spawned a whole group of graduate students who are now luminaries in their own right who have finally shown that one of the things we do when we sleep is that we sort of um, we forget, we 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 organize our mind, we get rid of extraneous matter matter um, uh, information. Remember, your brain is is not exactly uh, your 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 portable um, uh, camera device but it effectively is memory happy. It always is, try- anything that you're being exposed to within your waking day, your brain is saying, I'm gonna try to remember this, I'm gonna try to remember this. And it ends up remembering way too much information to the point that if you don't sleep, and I've had the experience of not sleeping for th- for three days, you become psychotic with too, in- too much information. So what sleep does is it neatly trims down your memories so that, um, you get rid of the extraneous stuff, but it also topiary-like accentuates the important memories. It doesn't just delete all memories. No, oh, I like
1: that. But it's not a passive experience. I like that metaphor. Because, It's not a passive experience because then you go, and especially for someone like Susie, who remembers every second of every dream she has, uh, I do not, uh, she, she has a whole other world. Uh, that goes on <laughs> when she goes to sleep. Right. I know I dream too. I just don't I know, remember I'm, it. But she yeah, has an entire... It's, so it's not passive. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not passive.
0: I want to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, Dr. Small, because I do have a whole other life in my dreams with other locations that I go back to that aren't in my real life. People that don't live in my life that I know. Cars and places and... and you know, like malls that I go to and, and it's, it's, it's actually exhausting. So I, 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 and I'm, I remember them I, during I doubt the day. I'm going
2: to um, clarify a lot in this call, but I'm certainly not going to clarify the transmigration of souls. So don't ask me to go there. Um, if that's okay. what you're suggesting, you have perhaps a separate parallel life. You might, yeah. you really might. No, she, I, I love that in literature it's called the metaverse. The meta universe. The meta. No. But, but but she dreams
1: stuff and she she'll say to me, she says, What do you think this means? I go, What do you mean? It's it's exactly what you're experiencing in your in your wake day right. life. So I can't I can
2: I'm not sure I bring that back to, to forgetting, but what I can say is that we don't most of our sleeping Time is not engaged in dreams. Dreams probably play out certain things, and in playing them out, they're not playing other things, and so they're part of the topiary sculpting. But the, the, what what really gotcha. was interesting to me, to me there, and I, I have to say again, I I, I learned a lot in reading um, for the book and talking to experts and reading stuff that's a slightly out of my natural home base, which is Alzheimer's, um, and it. There's just no question that we need to sleep to forget to be more creative people. That is a, a really interesting uh, punchline. And I, it took me a while to convince myself that I can even say that, And because others have said it in different ways. And basically, the idea there is that um, it's always hard to pin down complicated terms. But in psychology, they pin down creativity in a way that I think makes sense to most of us. Creativity is not um, something out of the blue. It's not that eureka that suddenly, you know, you see something. Most creative people, whether they're scientists or artists or in any walk of life, if you know a creative person, that person is being creative because they do two things. Uh, expose their brains to a lot of information. So visual artists, visual information, musicians, music, uh, scientists, maybe scientific information. So you need the memory part, but you need the forgetting part. This is what's so interesting. People have really exceptional memories will not necessarily be creative, almost the opposite. You need the forgetting part to keep those associations in your brain loose and playful. It's that playfulness. That creates the alchemy of forgetting, uh, of creativity, uh, and that's really interesting. Emerson had this quote, and I'm loving. People are sending me from around the world quotes. You know, um, artists. Thank you very much. Well, I insist they call me Scott, but sometimes they 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 flub and they call me Dr. Small. Thank you very much, Dr. Small, for <laughs> uh, for the illuminating book. But you know that. Uh, artist X Y and Z, writer, philosopher, poet X Y and Z figured this out a, lo- uh, a long time ago, and I actually talk about that in book in the book how artists figure out how the brain works before we do. But Emerson has this great quote where he he says that um, morning. Um, how does it go? It's morning is the imagination of our minds. Uh, evening is when it's burdened with memories. And it's really just incredible because he's, he's, he sensed that. I think you speak to mo- You know, speak, maybe you, Susie, or your mother back in the day, most artists feel that they need a good refreshing night's sleep to be able to really be creative for that alchemy to happen most likely.
0: You know, a lot of creative people can do can have a lot of stimulation going on, and I love a lot of stimulation. I'm a I'm like a I'm like a hyper girl. Give me coffee. I would take i I'd take a coffee drip. I'm good on that. But but when I'm creating, especially when I'm writing, I don't like right. any distraction. I can't because I already am right. So all, all, all the information
2: is hours. there. If if you were one way, one has to be careful with oversimplifications. Again, my typical refrain, but. People who have really, really good memory have all that information, but it's just uh, stapled with steel. They can't be playful. They can't uh, engage in creativity. That's what creativity is. And um, In some ways, it's my favorite chapter um, because of the importance of creativity uh, in our lives. (laughs)
1: Is that what causes writer's block? makes so much sense. I I was just wondering, when you hit writer's block, is there something that's going on? Are you just thinking about other things, or...?
2: That's a really interesting (laughs) question, Don. I I guess I would imagine there are a lot of forms of writer's block, Um, but that's a really interesting question. Might a forgetting pill help writer's block? It's not maybe a complete coincidence that drugs like alcohol have been used by many famous writers to unblock their writing again I'm not a doctor hot yeah. yeah, i'm not pot. i'm not I'm not condoning all that or rec- prescribing any of yeah. that, but in this general discussion right uh, yeah. it, that that would on first approximation at least make some sense yeah.
1: and hallucinogenics
2: too. well there are yeah. many
0: many yeah I was going to say many a movie and many a movie has been written on hallucinogenics. but yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. hallucinogenics I think, are a little sense. bit different. I think they, what they do is they, are an active process, but and they might open up a pocket, that kind of thing. I'm not sure that, and I know a lot about these um, recreational drugs. I'm not sure that, and I, I'm all, all in on, uh, on Jonathan Pollard's book. You know, microdosing again, not as a doctor, if, if but, mm-hmm. but on the forgetting part, I think it's more the drugs like uh, alcohol, like ecstasy. Um, uh, that relaxed the forgetting that allowed that kind of uh, sleeping, <laughs> that allowed that kind of creativity to happen.
0: I'm really always going on 13 years old in my head, so no wonder. <laughs> I'm just a playful well, girl. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, creative. I'm, I'm, honestly, Susie, playfulness
2: <laughs> is exactly the, the buzzword. Playfulness. I try to sign off. I, I run a center at Columbia. I run a center for schizophrenia. I, 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 I work with a lot of technocratically driven, really smart people. And we bang away at science. I try to end every Zoom or meeting with the playful plea. Stay playful, stay, f- keep it fun. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: I respect that 100%. I, oh,
1: I, I, I thought of this and to me it's so fascinating. Do you know anything about dreams and Alzheimer's? Do, because it's dreams come from a different part of the brain, do you feel that people with Alzheimer's may dream
2: that's a really interesting is question. There anything on that? So if I can rephrase it at least in a way that I think I can answer, um, is, uh, it, do our dreams, dreamscapes change as we develop Alzheimer's? I actually don't know that, Don. That's an interesting question. Yeah. One thing I, I, I should say, that, dream, that sleeping seems to be beneficial for Alzheimer's. That's a complicated story, and so I'm not sure it's related to anything I've been saying. But it's a, I, I don't know if the dreamscape actually changes. It probably does. It would be hard to tell. At, yeah. at some point, it would be hard to tell, but if you look at artists, and I talk about de Kooning, right, together with Jasper. Um, at some point, it definitely influences your creativity and your output. Um, the question with de Kooning was whether it, it impactful it, it impacted his later years to the point that it should not be showed in public but when they decided to show it at the museum of modern art i think in 1997 it was uh they excluded some of the art that they thought was maybe subpar but most of it is just the the genius of a of a a late stage uh giant so uh it's it's all interesting
1: Wow. I mean, can they? do they monitor – will monitoring brain waves say if you're dreaming or not? It will say if
2: you're dreaming or not, but it won't tell you. I think what you're asking to me, the more interesting question, you're dreaming, but, are you, but dream? are you dreaming yeah. more or less? <laughs> are you dreaming like Susie or are you dreaming like you and me, Don? Boring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or just dreaming like you did, uh, <laughs> right. dreaming like you did as before Alzheimer's or dreaming, you know, is there a different type? Uh, obviously, there's no way to – you know, we don't, we can't record dreams yet, but –
0: what are these groundbreaking um, developments on Alzheimer's that you were talking about?
2: Without going into the science, because that might take a little bit more time, uh, what we now know is what is, in, in, in medicine, we think, not just neurology, we think of uh, what goes wrong in the cell and the brain, it would be neurons. And cells have thousands of molecules. I think people know that. But we organize those molecules into pathways, so like a blueprint of a complicated machine. And so we think of pathways. um, And the pathway that used to be thought to be the cause is now probably not. That's one reasons why all the clinical trials that have been testing are generally disappointing. Uh, But the upswing is, in parallel with the old ideas, losing traction, the true pathways that seem to be playing the dominant role in Alzheimer's has been clarified. And once you have that clarity, then the, the biotech industry can start developing drugs. And that's happening as we speak.
0: Fabulous! Wow, and how? What? Just a time frame? Do you have a approximate time frame for something where? Well, you think- time
2: frames. Uh, doctors have always gotten into trouble with time frames because we sort of borrowed from Stalin on the f- Soviet five-year promise. We always say five years. Somehow that seems right. Medicine, biology doesn't work in, in years. I think the the, the better analogy maybe is if in the past we were swinging in the wrong playing field lights off now we're in the right playing field lights are completely on and illuminated and so the home run will be hit soon whether that's a year two or five it's hard for me to say but again the only silver lining of covid is that it's shown us that once we're sure we the collective we are sure of the cause of something there's a lot of new tools that we just didn't have a few years ago that can quickly mobilize to find meaningful drugs. And that's why there's cautious optimism. Wow. And, and, and uh, some of the drug companies that I work with, they're not by nature uh, you know, overselling, but they truly believe in the next few years, meaningful drugs will, wow. will come that's out fabulous. of this new effort. That's
0: Real quickly, would anything ever reverse it? We
2: have to bite off what we can chew. Um, I think most of my patients, maybe your mother 16 years ago, if I told her I can arrest it, that would be maybe good enough. A little bit of forgetting and that's fine. That's our goal yeah. right now. We're meaningfully slow right. But But now that we have, these these insights. There is some reason. If you catch it early enough, much like cancer, you might be able to reverse it. But let's not uh, engender false optimism. Let's focus on what we think we can do. Understood.
1: Well, we can't thank you enough for being here today. I mean, we, this is uh, your, your, your fa- everything about this is so fascinating. Uh, I, we we encourage everyone to go out and get your book, Forgetting the Benefits of Not Remembering.
0: We really thank you so much for taking the time. You're such a a, a mensch, as they say in French. And uh, Don, what do we always say?
1: (laughs) Well, as we always say, love is powerful, love is contagious, and love conquers alls. And we thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care.